0: Welcome to episode 33 of Art Pays Me. This week, I feature international outsider artist Flavia Testa. Flavia is a rebellious freethinker whose raw, unapologetic work really drew me to her. We share her thoughts on pursuing an art career with formal training from an art school or without it. Uh, How pursuing uh, risky concepts in her art has been rewarding. And how being a third culture kid with UN diplomat parents impacts her work, and why it's important to take your ego out of your work. I mean, we talk about me basically losing my life's work, and uh, Kevin to come to terms with it. Uh, Flavia also shares her thoughts on the purpose of art and the nuance associated with pricing it. This is a good one for professional artists and basically anyone who's got risky ideas that they think they want to pursue also want to give a shout-out to Tanya Angelique. She showed some appreciation for the Lily episode last week. So thanks for listening, and uh, let's keep going. Let's get into the show. What up, artists? My name is Dwayne Jones. I'm the creative director and founder of a lifestyle brand called Art Pays Me. This is the Art Pays Me podcast, and I'm passionate about finding ways that people like you and me can make a living for ourselves off of our creativity and you know maybe we can make the world a better place at the same time. Let's get into it. Okay so Flavia welcome to our Pays Me. Thank you for doing the show. Um, I want to start off though with what is it that you do?
1: I am Principally um, an illustrator, but I'm tacking into um, painting and creating all sorts of things, which I've done for a very long time almost 30 years of taking photographs, painting clothes, making clothes, um, drawing illustrations for magazines, making art with canvases, whatever I can get my hands on and make something out of it, then that's what I've been doing.
0: Okay, and you're largely self-taught, I understand?
1: I am largely self-taught. I participated three times to a NASCAD call uh, in the early 90s to try to get into art school, and I went for a couple of tours, and wow, was I not feeling it? I just, I felt like I was in a jail and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I did, I did my portfolios and they said that I was too out there even then. (laughs) So I just said, you know, I I don't need the school to tell me I should make art. I'll just make art and it'll just be harder because I don't have the technique behind me. So, you know, then life happens. So the techniques and things that you think you're going to do take a lot longer. When you're encased in a sort of, place where you are forced to do things because you have to then your learning curve is a lot steeper so i i think technically art schools are useful for that i'm not sure that they're useful for anything else
0: Mm. so interesting so in in that sense do you feel like not going to art school forced you to explore certain things that you would not have explored
1: I think I was just free to do what I wanted, so I didn't have, I didn't stick to one medium for one thing, so I didn't just do illustration because I liked it, I did I did a little bit of everything, the only thing that I haven't really done is, is ceramics or sculpting, but I mean, I'm not dead yet, so I, <laughs> I just think that it, it's it's a nice way to, you don't teach art I don't know. I'm I'm old school probably. I'm just one of those people who thinks that if you are an artist you have it in you and you produce it and you make it. Mm-hmm. Obviously the quality of what you're making depends on what you put in it and how much work you do on that one given piece or however many pieces. But I don't know. I I have a hard time with the marriage of of institutional art and And the act of making art, but that's just me. That's you know, maybe if I'd gone through the process, I'd be I'd be different. Well, of course, I would be.
0: Yeah, I. So I did go to art school. Uh, For me, I agree with you. Actually, (laughs) even though I went to art school, Uh, and the (laughs) reason I agree is because I've seen people both complete art school and do well and complete art school and not do so well. And I've seen people leave art school and do well and people leave art school and not do so well. And I really believe that it starts inside you. Like I think everyone who went to NASCAD that I was with me included, at least in the art side of it, we were artists before we started. So there were, we didn't need to go to NASCAD to tell us we were artists and there was nothing anyone could tell me back then. <laughs> Uh, um, but like going there was helpful in terms of getting exposed to different ways of of doing things so in that sense I'm like yes it can be helpful Uh, or it is helpful Um, and then the network from people around you is helpful Uh, but yeah I agree with you though that it's not something that you necessarily need to do in order to be great at art making or because i don't think art i think art is so much more than technique and so much more than what we've created in an academic structural sense art is something that's just within us I agree. so um yeah. well
1: and then it also gets critique through those channels right so yes there's a certain like what you said that there's a certain network that happens and that is in place that everybody knows when you come out of schools, and that's a very you know that can be a very useful tool. So that 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 can promote artists or that can continue whatever they're doing from the school outside into the world when they leave, and that's fine. I mean, everybody has their road that they take. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just you know I have a I, yeah no I just have a, a thing for institutions and and yeah basically just institutionalizing art and having i just I, for some reason in my brain i i associate institutions or government government with censorship at this point mm-hmm. or and that bothers me so i you know i appreciate the freedom that comes with being completely pissed off and not doing anything with your art financially that's as exciting as what other you know you're not rolling in with a hundred thousand dollars the first year you're in business unless you know you're and and that's that's unrealistic and they don't teach business mm-hmm. um in art school as far as i know and so it's you have to do it yourself um and that's okay too you know
0: yeah one thing keeps
1: you creative
0: yes i agree with that i know okay so for me when i was there there was one mandatory business class and I didn't think I would need it and I didn't care. I thought it was stupid (laughs) and I didn't pay attention. (laughs) And then now looking back, I'm like, well, actually, instead of that one course, maybe they should have integrated business thinking all throughout this because most of us are going to come out of it not necessarily having people ready to throw money at us because we can make art well. So we're going to have to be entrepreneurs and you don't necessarily think about that so that's one thing I would go back and do differently if I I could
1: yeah it's something that they should have they should marry absolutely when you're in the creative fields because nobody nobody's actually gonna vouch for you even the best gallerist on the planet is not gonna vouch for you the way you can vouch for you and the Mm -hmm. way you can sell your own work so that's something that should be taught. And also, I think that it's not in the artist mindset to be a, a marketer or a seller of anything. Yeah, it's, it's sort of another it's a whole other persona that you have to have. And most people that I've met, there's very few that I that in the art circles that I've seen around the world. There's very few artists who are like, yes, I love selling my stuff and I'm doing it and I don't care. You know, They're hiding and they don't want to know and they have a problem with even picking a price point for their work. They feel bad about it. Just, that's ridiculous. You have to make a living.
0: Mm-hmm. So I actually wanted to, to get into the... Well, you touched on it, <laughs> but I feel like you're a rebel. So um, you just touched on that. <laughs> What were you like as a child? Was, I was like Flavia the child? Rebellious. The
1: child? <laughs> yeah, well, yes, yeah. I was. I wasn't a. I wasn't a pain in the ass, but I was definitely rebellious. So if if somebody said, you know, try doing this, I'd always go, well, there's a whole other way that you can do something. Mm. Um, it probably also has to do with the kind of upbringing that I had, um, because my family was. Uh, they were UN diplomats, so I traveled a lot from zero to six. And so I I was exposed to all sorts of changes all the time from a very early age. So my adaptability went way up and also my need to to just see what was around me to, to be able to function. Even as a child, you have to know what's going on, right?
2: Mm. Um,
1: and that just made me in, instantly curious and also a little mistrustful because you never know what you're who's around you and what you're, you know, you're changing all the time. You're changing homes, you're changing locations. So you're not, you know, you don't have a solid, let's say a solid base. And this has helped me immeasurably because it made me just turn around and go, Oh, is there an alternative way to do something? Mm -hmm. And I, I always found that voice. I always, I, you know, I always found that it was much more interesting to find my own way than to follow what everybody else was doing
0: right right so your parents being... Disabled. and i also oh go sorry oh, go ahead go ahead
1: i can't see myself but i know that i've been my friends who have known me a very long time through my whole life they always said you know you were you were always the one who would you know if there was a rock to pick up you'd be the one you'd be the one to pick it up and show everybody else to not be scared so That's a very nice compliment. And that doesn't mean I'm tendentially violent. That's not the point. The point is, is that, hmm. I just think that if you take on the artist role, you also have the liberty of saying things that most people cannot say because they're they're sort of tied to their identity of their job or their family or whatever it is that one is tied to. And you don't want to cause any ripples. I feel that by choosing to be an artist, it gives me access to all sorts of, possibility and i think that's what my childhood taught me is that i don't have to be tied down to the people that raised me then i can just choose my own you know make your own ending kind of uh,
0: that,
1: that makes sense
0: okay okay so how did you end up in nova scotia after like being a child- uh, <laughs>
1: It's a good question. So I was raised sort of all over the world. And then eventually I, we settled, um, in a little town in Ontario and it was, in, it was interesting. I mean, again, the rebelliousness always kicked in and I always just told people what I thought in high school was high school and middle school were typical. And there was a lot of racism and a lot of different kind of things that one had to put up with. Mm-hmm. Um, And then I got to a point where I didn't want to be living at home. And so I did the two polls of Canada and I applied to university. I applied in British Columbia and I applied in Nova Scotia. And I just said, the first one to pick me, that's where I'm going to go. And that's how I ended up in Nova Scotia for myself. Before that, um, we had... We had a cottage, actually, in Mahone Bay when I was a kid. And so we'd come here through the summers. And so I've been bouncing back to Nova Scotia since I was about 11, 12. I keep coming back and forth. The love-hate relationship.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Got you, got you. Um, So you're, you're currently based here, technically.
1: I am. Yes, I am. My studio and where I do the 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 last two years of my work has come out of Nova Scotia. Absolutely.
0: Okay. So, what do you love most about what it is that you do?
1: That I have. That I don't know what I'll be doing in a week, and it changes. And I love the mystery of of the of what I an, end up doing. So, for example, this week I started. Um, I started doing my marketing plan that I want to bring into December, and this is just for works on paper. So I, the reason I work on paper is also because I do travel quite a bit, and canvases and paint and everything else is quite difficult to transport with you. Whereas pens, pencils, and a certain amount of ink is is much more portable. And so I'm working on a um, series at the moment. And from that series, I thought, well, I could probably, I, I just wanted to experiment. And so I took the same uh, ink and paint that I was using on paper. And I just did a few stints on fabric, which I used to do, incidentally, a long time ago. And I really enjoyed that. So this week, I I've des- I've decided that I'm going to do some illustration on three or four pieces of clothing just to see if I can get them out there. And I used to have a pretty good client base when I did do that in 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a little self self-made business called AOK clothing, which stood for acts of kindness. And I don't want to make clothing. I don't want to make clothes and I don't want to contribute to, to, a fashion print of pollution Mm -hmm. but I like doing one-offs and just seeing if they sell Mm -hmm. and it's a nice little way to do like a capsule collection of something that you put alongside the art that you can combine and so I'm working on that this week and uh, setting up little like shows on my own Mm -hmm. um so that was not in my head at all three days ago It just sort of naturally happened as I was talking to people. And that happens to me quite a bit. I have to say that I'll phone people or I'll email contacts that I have. And usually very late at night, like 1030 or 11, that's late for me. And I'll say, hey, I have this idea. What do you think? And more often than not, I get a resounding yes on the other side. And I have to teach myself that I can take that risk because i'm the same as everybody else i think oh i shouldn't do that they'll think that i'm strange or they will say no or i'm afraid if what are they going to say but the more i do it and the more i train myself to put myself out there with my wacky ideas it mm-hmm. seems the more people are saying yes and that's good for my that's good for the people on the other side who are collectors and viewers and all the stuff that you know the selling
2: part
0: right right okay and i've heard in in conversations with you you've you've there are a couple things you've said that struck me third culture kid was one of them and international outsider art Mm -hmm. is another thing what what do those things mean right
1: so third culture uh is because of my background so i don't know if you know but i was i'm actually a foundling which means i was found in a box um, when I was an infant in wow. Iran. So my original family, uh, who I don't know who they are, are from that country. Third culture is because by not identifying in any one continent or any one place, you, I identify as a bit of everything. And that's why I call it third culture. I mean, it's not me. I didn't coin the term. It's a lot of people who have traveled and not just traveled. It's not about traveling and being in the jet set or being some sort of wanderlust person. It's people who actually live in places for a determined amount of time. And that you, you basically, that becomes part of your DNA tap the tapestry of who you are. So for example, I did nursery school in Mexico city.
2: Mm. so
1: there's so much of the Mexican culture which I gravitate to generally and I didn't link the fact that I for a long time I didn't I didn't connect the two things that when you do things you know before you're the age of five you know they tend to mold you Mm -hmm. Um, and I've had a lot of that so there's all sorts of places in the world that I identify with and not fully but that I identify with and that are part of me. And that's why I identify as a third culture person.
0: Got you. Got you. Yeah, I've, I've had one of my best friends actually was, she's Indian, but was, I think she was born and raised in Ethiopia. I could be wrong, but she was definitely like raised in her early days mm-hmm. in Ethiopia and then educated in the UK and then came to Canada for education and still lives in Canada. So, She's got this strange mix of right. cultural identities that she's always sort of tackling with, so i so I guess she would probably fit into that too. Yeah,
1: very interesting,
0: yeah, um and then like yeah it,
1: I think it's night well, and I mean we have that tendency,
0: yeah, yeah, but see mexico city that's that's cool, and because of like it is. <laughs> yeah that, that's interesting an international outsider art so that ties into that sort of cultural mix I'm guessing? yeah
1: because i identify because yes absolutely so it's not the fact that my art is so international which actually it actually leaves canada more often than i than i admit which is great but it's because i'm the international component of that of that Um, And because my, when I source my work or when I, you know, my imagination goes all over the place when I, when I'm creating, so it doesn't stop in just one geographic location, Um, making it international and outsider because I was very uncomfortable with saying that I'm a painter or an illustrator or this or that. And in my own personal studies, when I learned about the naive and Groot art movement. Um, it seemed to be something that if I had to identify myself with, I could. And also, you know, life makes people crazy in all sorts of ways. I don't think I'm crazy. I just think that I've faced a lot of adversity that in any other, I think a lot of other people probably would have sought help. Mm -hmm. And I never did. I just sort of slogged through my own problems and used art to get through it. And so while outsider artists are tendentially labeled as people who are in mental institutions, who produce art out of mental or psychiatric institutions. Mm. um, I also think that if you use art to get yourself out of your state of mind to get better, then I think that I, you know, in a way I've like earned the right to also call myself an outsider.
0: Mm. Interesting.
1: And also, because I haven't been to school. So, automatically by default, I'm self taught. And mm-hmm. that's also, you know, and the jury's out on that one. If you get, you know, I had a discussion in, in Europe recently with uh, some German and Belgian artists, and they were like, oh, why do you identify as an outsider? Because you're not in a, an insane asylum. And I said, well, <laughs> That depends. Depends. Just because you have walls around you that says you live in an insane asylum doesn't mean that, right? Doesn't and there's this I think also there's a culture of elevating victimization at this point in history. Like the more the more horrible things you have gone through and the more you can publicize that, the better you are. And I I find that astounding. Nobody wants to be sick. Nobody wants to have hardship. Nobody wants to have to go through hell and back and go, ha ha, you know, like if you come out of it, that's amazing. But Mm. I think that the way the world is turning, we are also, um, we're giving credit to things that are not very nice to Mm. put it mildly.
0: So like your position is
1: like if you're weakening people,
0: right? Right. Right, you you're taking a position of strength. Like yes, these things happen. By, you know what I mean. But I have power. Yes, I still have power.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I and I think that ties back to the question you gave you you asked me before. Was I rebellious as a kid? I just never believed that adults knew anything. I always believed that kids actually have a lot more knowledge about what's actually going on. And I just never believed the lies. And so that really made me mad because I saw all these adults in my life, not just per- like even in school and stuff. And I was like, do you actually believe what you're saying? Because I don't. And when you called them out on it and they see a little kid calling, <laughs> calling an adult out on stuff, you know then, you know, you're at the principal's office or you're, you know, kicked out of school or whatever it is. And, but I always questioned people and I was like, are you, are you serious? You know, and not in an obstinate way, in a curious way, in a, in a way that I was already calling people out in, in their, not in, not because I thought they were wrong, but I just, I was like, you're believing your own stories. You're believing your own lies. And I think I I saw right through that at a very early age. And that just kept on coming.
2: Mm -hmm. So my
1: art is a lot about that too, right? So when I do illustrations and people are like, oh, why are they so strong? Or why are they so raw? Or why are they so violent? And I don't think I make violent art. I just think that I make art that exposes these things.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah, I, yeah. I was gonna ask you if your art making was an emotional process for you, but I, I'm taking it from that. It probably is.
1: Uh, I mean, I'm very aware of what I'm doing. I'm not in some sort of emotional crisis when I'm making my art. Okay. I'm very fine tuned, and I'm very open to the channel that is happening when I like. I'm not really actually. I don't want to say I'm not awake because I am, of course, awake. But when I'm in the process of making the pieces I'm making, I'm not thinking of myself and make I don't know how to explain it. Mm-hmm. Hang on a second. Um, I'm I'm it's not a personal thing that is coming out in the work. It's more okay, I can represent this emotion or this feeling so yes it is a feeling but it's not necessarily mine that's coming out on the canvas or on the on the paper Uh. um and then it just morphs into something that's a lot then a lot a lot of times is that like a story happens in front of me when I'm doing the work which is not at all what I had planned in my head Mm. uh I usually get like flashes in my head of images and then it's my job To translate what I actually saw in my head, and then put it on whatever medium is going on—usually paper or whatever it Um, is—that's the hard part. Is that I've already seen what it is that I want to do, but now I have to translate it, and that's the hard part of being self-taught. I think that if I had the, if I had, you know, some training, half the stuff that I'm doing would take half the, at least half the time, or at least it would come out without. It's not as choppy or, you know, I wouldn't have so many retakes, <laughs> mm. Mm. but I, I don't think I'm not it looks like it's, I'm emotionally charged when I'm making the work, but I'm actually pretty detached. And then once it's done, I'm definitely detached. I'm not married to my work anymore. And that's, I'm that's very happy if it leaves. Well.
0: So you mentioned the paper for the transportability, but I always think of paper as it's going to go away it's like it could be destroyed. Yes, and I love
1: that part about it too.
0: Uh-huh. Okay.
1: I love that. That's a whole other reason that I use paper. It's very absolutely very deliberate because it keeps me in check. In the sense that I'm not any better than any other person who's trying to make art and actually just remember that your art can be used to make a fire and keep somebody warm if they need to and I like that. Because it gives it gives it a uh, uh, an end. And I need, I need to know that I'm, you know, like I like the idea of not being eternal in my work and that there is the possibility that it may not be there in five years because it has burned or it has rotted or somebody, you know, used it for something else. I don't mind that.
0: I'm like, so my, my ego makes me want my stuff to live forever. I'm like, I wanted to live forever. But then (laughs) I had a a ton of art that I really liked um, that I took back home to Bermuda and I had it in my room. And Bermuda's climate is super, Mm -hmm. like super damp, super humid. And I remember I came back
1: home. Oh, God, it got
0: yeah <laughs> i was like mom where's all my art and i'm talking like hundreds
1: oh the mold
0: like i had to throw it away I'm oh, like, what no. do you mean i had to throw it away like it was <gasps> mold all of it was moldy i couldn't keep it i was like all right
2: yeah
0: dev- but i well, actually you know what i was expecting to feel devastated but i kind of wasn't but at the same time every now and then i think about those
2: oh good them.
0: But there is this weird thing. that yeah. I should be devastated because most of my art is gone. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, but, I think yeah. it's a
1: it's a good. Well, that's another thing they don't teach you.
0: Yeah, no, it, it, and
1: they should. I had a friend of mine who is a, who's an artist, and he's a, he's an amazing artist. He's a complete recluse. However, he was one of the first people who said okay, draw this and do that and try, you know, doing it. And then he taught me to burn my work, get rid of it.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: And <laughs> that was an invaluable lesson because mm-hmm. I just never got attached to too much of my work. I mean, I have pieces that I'm attached to, but I take photographs and I'll like, you know, that's enough. I can't take it with me anyway. Right.
0: Right. Exactly. So,
1: and I'm also training myself to get my ego out of my work and that's, That's a lifetime of training, I think, Mm
2: -hmm. to get
1: my ego out of the work that I'm doing Mm. and get out of the way. And I also think that idea of wanting your work to last forever, uh, I get it. I just just think there's still ego tied to that. And I don't know why. I don't know why I would rather not have my ego tied to my work. Mm -hmm. I haven't figured that part out. I don't know if it's... If if it's false modesty, if it's, I'm actually, I feel not good enough. I don't know what it is. I haven't figured that part out. But it gives you that liberty that it doesn't matter. No. <laughs> you know, everybody goes out and reads that book, not yeah. giving a fuck or I don't know what it is. And I'm like, you shouldn't read books. You should just, I mean, you should read books, but you should just live, live it. Like actually do the things that, you know. You're, you are meant to do and stop reading about it or stop taking like courses or reading YouTube or listening to YouTube videos that tell you that you need permission. You don't need permission. Yeah, You're not in jail.
0: Right. Right. That, that, the <laughs> That's so well said. I I grapple with that every now and then too, because a lot of times, so I'm a, here I am, I'm, a, I'm recording a podcast that's sort of, with the purpose of inspiring people. But at the same time, I listen to a lot of podcasts for ideas and inspiration. And a lot of the times it's only stuff that I already know that I'm just getting reaffirmed and being reminded that, yeah. Oh, you know what? You should be just making more art or you should be paying attention to the business or you should be doing this or doing that sleeping more. Or whatever. <laughs> it's all things I know. It's, right. It's some- well,
1: I think it's easy yeah well, you're also swept into you you know we all have the tendency to be swept in the latest thing, and the latest thing, sadly to say from people who are you know sixteen to fifty five maybe is that it's easy to be constantly with the gadget in your hand or whatever looking for the next thing that's gonna boost you and we have our own booster system, and we've, we have suppressed our own instinct by thinking that it's out there that we have to look at, or by thinking that you have to internalize everything and be introspective and meditate and sit on, you know, sit on a mountain and meditate. I think it's an in-between. It's an in-between of those two extremes. It's not about silencing yourself to the point where you're just meditating, and it's not the extreme where you're just always out there. I think the act of doing and getting better at whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's art or fixing a car or cleaning a bathroom, whatever it is, or selling products or being the CEO of your company, it's just about the act of doing in, in, in its nature. Mm. It's just, it's self-propelling in a way.
0: Right. Right.
1: And you get away from that because you're like, oh, I should be doing this. Or somebody said I should be doing that. Or this is how that person did it. And there's always this like ping ponging of comparison that happens when you're attached to, you know, social media, especially. And that takes away your voice.
0: Right, right. So that said, I, a lot of us today use social media for creative influences. Do you have any creative influences or did you have any?
1: I constantly have creative influences, and and most of them are dead. So thank God. So see, so I'm very happy that there's YouTube or social media because I can like click on, on a video of dead artists that I like to listen to, and I will be inspired by that. Or it's in my background, and I'll listen.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I read a lot of poetry. I re I take a lot of walks in nature and be outside. I. Uh, am inspired by the weirdest things like i th- i'm not, i don't think it's it's atypical but for example if i hear something on the radio the way it's phrased maybe it's a turn of a word and mm. that will inspire me for the whole day or the inflection of how somebody has said something and i'll be like oh can you imagine that the tonalities of the of of that person's voice, if you transpose them over top of you know bird singing, imagine what that would do. so anything can trigger me to be creative it, it It's not one thing or another. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I just think anything if your're if your channel is open to receiving inspiration and your ideas your like I call it the idea mode is on, mm-hmm. then you're receiving const you're receiving constantly, and then you can you know interpret it and put it out. Um, I don't know. For some reason, I have a lot of a lot of admiration for... I really like David Lynch. I have never seen Twin Peaks, but I really like his paintings and I like his process. Mm. Um, I'm not much of... I don't even have a television set, so I have no idea. I haven't had a television in years. so I, And I don't have Netflix and I don't have all that stuff. I have no idea. But I do use YouTube occasionally to get inspiration. Mm-hmm um i like artists who are sort of on the on the brink of their movements so i like uh like did, i did i've six months of intense studying of um, francis bacon mm-hmm. okay and you know he was very interesting to me and um Lori lipton who's a i think the world's best draftswoman that there is alive at the moment. Mm. Uh, her work is all done in pencil and graphite, and the pieces that she does are absolutely mind-blowing. And her consistency and just the fact that she's doing it is incredible to me. And all her pieces have... Um, there's stories behind them, and there's a huge narrative of crit- of social and political critique. And she does everything in pencil, and the pieces are huge. Like, we're talking meters and feet and feet and feet of work. Mm-hmm. Like they're enormous installations and she does everything by hand in pencil wow. and her draft. She's, I mean, she's top. She is I, in my opinion, and that's just my opinion. Um, she's the world's best draftswoman, Absolutely. And th- mm-hmm. the caliber of her work is just astounding. So, you know, and they are people who speak their mind. They're the people who are not afraid to say things to then get the backlash. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the role of that is the role of the artist is to be able to say the things that are uncomfortable without fearing that someone's going to lynch
2: you. Mm. Mm.
1: I, I'm not so I'm not a proponent of I'm not a proponent of being rude, and I'm not a proponent of spewing hate. But at the same time, I'm not a I also don't think that political correctness necessarily is a good thing because it avoids having real conversations and real breakthrough. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, For me personally, that tends to be the type of art I'm more drawn to as well. I appreciate all kinds of art, but the stuff that makes me feel uncomfortable uh, or makes me think critically are the the pieces that tend to... to, um, that's what I for me personally, I want art that's gonna generate a reaction. And I think that's the, the the goal for for me. Right. Some people they want to see something safe that makes them smile and makes them happy. There's a place for that too. I right. I'm really into the Oh man Absolutely. that made me mad. <laughs> I looked at that or that made me scared or that makes me Yeah. Yeah. Those yeah. are the, the things. So the yeah, uh, speaking of which, like when I, I went to your show and I saw like these sharp objects pointing at bodies and I was like, Whoa, that's like, that makes me feel away. Like, um, it, it, <laughs> you right. know, it, it does that. It stirs up. Something. Thank
1: you for going to the show. Thank you.
0: Yeah, no, no yeah. problem. And it should. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And
1: it should. And I think we're in a position in history also that is unique and every every generation that is at the end of history and therefore in the present is unique. Um, We're not in, I mean, we have it probably the best that we can possibly have it in history at the moment in terms of humanity, generally speaking as a whole, at the same time, there's all these holes of things that are not going right. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I do think that being an artist is also a social calling. And so you have, in a sense an obligation to talk about things that are uncomfortable and so that is why I do the illustrations or I make maybe things that are pushing the envelope a little bit too much because by going over overboard a little bit then it really puts it in people's mind to think about it and I think people are a lot smarter and a lot more um in tune and a lot more willing than in general, people are, are given the chance to do that. They're just not, you know, everybody's sort of dumbed down in this way and then everybody has to be a, a drone and Mm -hmm. they're not, they're not. And art has a voice to be able to tell you, Hey, guess what? You're, you're awake and you have, you're allowed to, to say no or you're allowed to say yes. Or, you know, you have permission.
0: Yeah right so yeah the other thing with that this is something that i'm sure a lot of people would feel uncomfortable with you didn't i went to your show i saw you naked not that you were walking around naked but
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> you incorporated <No. laughs> photos of yourself <laughs> photos of yourself into, the, into yeah. the show. and um how does how, how i did, did get that vulnerable i i don't know if I could do that
1: I think that comes from uh the fact that I I actually think it does come from the fact of my story of my own story of the fact of being abandoned and not knowing anything about who I am so I don't have I don't have to be ashamed of Mm -hmm. anything because I don't have a you know, I'm my own alpha and my own omega is the story. I tell myself, I don't have a starting point. So who cares what I do? I mean, who cares really? Mm-hmm. Who's going to, who's, Oh, you have, I mean, we've all been naked at one point or another, if you, if you have a shower, you're naked. Mm-hmm. It just depends if, you know, if you're comfortable enough to show that vulnerability outside of, of, you know, the normal places, one would generally be naked. um, and I wanted to well, it's also a part of an art project that I'm working on that's a thirty year art project, so I'm about halfway through it mm. um, now, where I'm exploring the nature of 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 the person of the story of nakedness, but not of nakedness in terms of being nude, but in terms of being naked in front of all the things that are in the world, including you know violence, including. Nature itself, including all the vulnerabilities that we have as humans, and I—I I didn't know how to express that other than being naked. I mean, mm-hmm. that's pretty literal. It's, and um, I think also being, actually physically being on the other side of the lens. You get—I was very detached. I don't think about it at all, mm-hmm. and it also explores this idea that we have that nakedness equals sexuality. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that, I don't think being naked necessarily makes you a sexual being or it has to be seen in that way, or it's some sort of pornographic or erotic content. Mm -hmm. I think that has to do also, if you explore the fact that we come from Protestant and Catholic descendants, doesn't matter who you are. Like that's how, even if you're Jewish or even if you're Hindu, the, the society that we are living in and certainly in Canada has those, those tendencies woven into how we view things like our screens Mm -hmm. are very, very, um, are very Protestant and, and very, you know, Oh my goodness, nakedness. What's that about?
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, and I just think that's a weird, it's a weird way to see yourself. So the, the act of, of putting myself in front of the lens and orchestrating the pictures. So I had, I have a photographer that I work with Mm -hmm. and he knows me very well. And like I said, this is a 30 year project. Um, So I know what picture I have in my head and what snap I want. So it's a matter of me not exactly telling him what to do, but at least giving him the picture that I have in my head and what we're going for, for this Thirty-year story that we're telling, and you know, I I just don't think about it. I don't think about being naked. I think about, oh my God, is this is this going to tell the? Is this image going to be able to have the right lighting or the right story that that the person on the other end once it's once it's up will understand, or are they just going to see a naked woman? (laughs)
0: Like
1: you know, that's up to the viewer.
0: Right. Yeah. so,
1: and incidentally, I don't have any problem with that either. Like I, I did, uh, I've done a ton of illustration in, in erotic artwork that mm-hmm. I, you know, would, was selling in London. I have no problem with that either. I'm not so hell bent on like puritanism that yeah. doesn't make you, you know, a, a pornographer for God's sake. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. They, like, I found it interesting when I first, study art history and started doing figure drawing and stuff like that. Uh as you go through these art history books, there is a lot of nudity and a lot of but it is it's just matter of fact. It's not it's it it just is what it is. It's a human body. It's a human Mm -hmm. and I remember like it took a while for me to to unlearn some of those cultural and social things that I learned of being uncomfortable mm-hmm. in your drawing class and and now it's like it, it took a while before it was just, oh that's just a shape. That's that's it. And I'm drawing a shape. Right. Um it's just the body of that's right bodies and it's normal and it's fine. Uh so it's, Yeah. it's interesting but, you know, I think what I did, though, I detached and then I made myself outside of it. I admire that you are able to not just detach yourself from it, but incorporate yourself into it and say, no, but it's also, I'm also just, you know, a body, too, like everyone else. So it's interesting.
1: Yeah.
0: And so you just got back from Italy.
1: It's also a bit nice voyage. Right. I did, yes. Yes.
0: Yes what what was so tell me about glitters is not good. what all that glitters is not good
1: so i was so this is interesting so i was in italy uh primarily to do family things but um after about six weeks of not actually producing anything i actually also have guilty feelings about not producing artwork and doing my job so i um I searched on my Facebook page to see if there was any art shows or any kind of things going on nearby where I was. And I found a woman who I actually sort of half knew and she was actually producing a show called in nature or our our relationship in nature. And so I literally same kind of thing. I wrote her an email at 1030 at night and I said, I'm look, I'm leaving in three days. Mm -hmm. I have a body of work that you know might interest you do you have a space uh in your show or somewhere for the weekend uh i'll be leaving in canada i'll be leaving to go back to canada on saturday but you're more than welcome to you know show the art for the weekend and i'll have someone come and take it down and you know again 10 30 at night (laughs) she wrote me right back and she's like absolutely but not in our show because that's part of the association. It's a 10 year thing, but we'll, we're very happy to give you a space the day before the show goes up because there's a, there's a, there's a music festival that's happening in the same town at the same time. Mm. So if you have work, um, sure, we'll give you a wall space and come up by all means, put it up. And then I started looking sort of a little more deeply at the, at the theme that they all worked on for a, wa- a year. And I was like, I have all this work that I've brought with me, and it's absolutely not appropriate in my opinion. Like, it has nothing to do with nature; it has everything to do with something else.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so, I have no studio, I have no materials, and I literally ran to the art store and got like one pad of paper, two pencils, and some paint. And I locked myself in the house for 48 hours and just produced, you know, enough so that it looks like a collection. Mm. And I used gold as my primary color. And because we were talking about nature, I thought, you know, there's this big kick, not a big kick, that sounds cliche or not appropriate. What I mean is, is that we have a major problem with humanity spoiling the earth and creating garbage inside and out. And I really like the fact that it seems like we're covering all sorts of things with gold and giving it value and not giving value to the things that are actually important and mm-hmm. i thought that the the use of black gold and trying to highlight this this what do you call it i suppose this this sort of charade where everybody's trying to be something that they're not, or at least they're showing that they're a certain A, maybe online, or they're polluting themselves and not cleaning themselves internally. And then what we're experiencing with like the Amazon burning and the floods and hurricanes, I mean that's that's all part of the same system. Like we're all attached to that system. It's not like it's they're not removed. Mm-hmm. And so all that glitters is not gold signifies that everything that we see with our naked eye that we give value to perhaps underneath is not so great. Mm. And we should reevaluate what we give value to. And so I made enough pieces that then I decided that I'm going to continue to make a collection into November, December, and uh, very likely take it on the road myself and do you know little pop-ups and things i haven't quite decided i'm working on my marketing actually this week for that for that collection of work
0: okay cool cool so would this is this something you yeah. would sell or is it more just for the storytelling
2: yes
1: yes i'm selling no i'm selling the pieces my goal is to sell the pieces that i that i'm making uh-huh. so i have a you know i have a small target of. You know it's not it's not 500 piece collection it'll probably be somewhere between 25 and 40 Mm -hmm. and my yes i plan on selling them
0: okay all right so with that said how do you, you you talked about pricing a bit how do you figure out what to charge for something
1: uh it depends how i'm working if i'm working on big pieces or small pieces And I usually, you know, so I'll look at what material have I bought, how much I spent to get it. So that includes the gas going to get it. Mm -hmm. Um, I sort of take an average wage uh, that most people are making. So what is the average wage in Nova Scotia? Somewhere around 11 something. And then I take a little bit higher above that to see what somebody else in in a different job positions making, I make an average of that. And then I just multiply the time and that gives me a number based Mm -hmm. on that. Then I think, you know, is there an emotional charge that I, that I will ask for the piece that I've actually made? And the answer is usually no, because I think that you have to be detached and not emotional about business. And that's the harder part. So, I it's really just an equation of how much time did I take how much money did I spend on materials and how much above that do I want to charge if you know I have to ship it or whatever it is and so far I think um you know it's working out pretty good you know I'm not outrageously expensive but I haven't made my stuff that it's so cheap that I've cheapened my work it's a nice good you know it's a nice solid nice solid numbers and also I go for size So I can do price points based on the size of work that I'm doing. And that's very, very helpful because Mm. the person on the other side doesn't understand that. So if you say, Oh, I made an eight by 10 or I made a 14 by 20, or you just take the sizes of the canvas or or the paper, they understand that. And then you just attach a price. And so then it's not this, you know, very difficult thing for your buyer to understand.
0: Right. Right okay cool uh yeah i i go back and forth yep. yeah. sometimes but i also put that emotional price on things so um yeah it's, pricing art is is an interesting challenge uh so where can people find
1: it also yeah it is and go,
0: go for it yeah
1: No, no I, no, I just think you know I'm gonna attach to what you said. It's it's hard to do an emotional, not be emotional about your pricing, but you have to be because you have to run your art thing like a business, and it is a business, and you can't, you know, you can't get emotional about feel or feel guilty about what prices you're making your work. I mean, when you go get groceries or when you go to do things. You're not emotional about paying, you know, $8 for whatever it is. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So where can people find you online?
1: Uh, they can find me on my Instagram page on Twitter and on Facebook under Flavia Nasreen Testa or Flavia Testa. I do primarily all my own sales. So, um, That means that if they see something on Instagram that they like, they can just shoot me a DM and I will sell it to them or, uh, they can go on my website, www.slaviatesta.com. And if they see anything there, same thing, they can shoot me an email or call and I use PayPal in terms of payments or cash. And, um, you know, or I, if I'm doing like any kind of street event or any kind of event, then I have, you know, you'll get me in person. (laughs) So you can just pay me straight.
0: Okay. All right. Well, Flavia, thank you very much for doing art pays me.
1: Thank you, Dwayne.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the art pays me podcast. Thank you to the beats for the theme music. If you got anything out of this show, Please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. The more you do this, the more reach the podcast gets, and the more artists I can help learn to make a living at what they love. If you want to know more about what I do, hit me up at ArtPaysMe.com or at ArtPaysMe on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest. See y'all next time.